obviously because of COVID, the um, the growth of e-commerce or online groceries have grown double by 2025. About 20% of groceries will be made up by online. What are the opportunities because of what's happening around us? Because at the end of the day, it is really about the value proposition as well of what we bring to our supporters and, and, and users of our product. Perhaps that's really the most comforting and reassuring thing that came out from COVID is I feel there is definitely a much stronger sense of uh, interdependence and mutual support among uh, other brands and manufacturers um, in Canada um, that we listen to each other, we're trying to help each other, bounce off ideas, and that's been a great experience. Hi there, food enthusiasts. Thanks for tuning in to Future Foodcast, where thought leaders in today's food industry discuss the trends and technologies that will shape the future of food. Today, we're speaking with Francis Lowe, the CEO of Yoso, uh, a new yogurt company uh, based out of Cambridge, um, Ontario in Canada. And so Francis has been giving us a little bit of background. Um, the whole company actually started as a research project uh, that he was doing in university on uh, potential plant-based foods. It grew into plant-based yogurt uh, over the years and the company actually started in the early 2000s and now has been operating for not quite 20 years yet and building a broad growth in both channels through retail, food service, and online sales, and uh, evolving, in a sense, their yogurt products, making them more nutritional over time, and also changing, in a sense, the uh, taste of the products as well to fit consumer palates. So right now, you're distributing just in Canada? Yes, we're currently uh, distributing Canada, but we are. We just moved to a, a brand new facility that we planted for about four years, and the, the goal of it is to um, expand our capacity to also export, uh, for example, to the United States. Excellent. Um, all right, so there's a point that you will expand distribution down here. When you distribute up there, who are you going through? You go through wholesalers, distributors, retailers, food service companies. How do you distribute the product? Well, it, it, we, our products are distributed in, in, you know, in multiple channels. Um, the, um, we're going through um, distributors, um, subsequently uh, servicing retailers. Um, we're also servicing retailers directly um, in some cases, which, which is becoming to be a trend. Uh, we also um, service, uh, work with food service distributors that servicing restaurants. And um, because of COVID, um, it also um, expedited our, our, uh, our process about um, servicing consumers directly with our own e-commerce site right now that we distribute within the 150 kilometer radius uh, from, uh, from our facility. So with the stuff that I, if I were ordering on your e-commerce site and I'm locally based, if you will, do you actually deliver directly to me or do you go through a shipping company? How, tell me how that works a little bit. Uh, we, we are very um, old fashioned and uh, we want to make sure, you know, we deliver the experience and the dependability and uh, all the good stuff. And uh, so we actually deliver it uh, to consumers home directly with our, with our own truck and our, uh, our, our own uh, designated uh, 
driver in our team. Okay, so you're you're doing the local deliveries up there, and that means you're probably also hitting the food service outlets, restaurants, or whoever else you hit as well. Yes, yes, yeah. correct. And then all the retailers in that area as well. Um, and then you do sell to other distributors or retailers who distribute on a broader basis, I assume, right? Yes, we also, um, the major grocery chains are definitely serviced through um, distributors or basically, you know, uh, through logistical partners that we work with. And, um, and we're in currently around 1,200 stores or retail outlets across Canada. Wow, that's a big deal. So the distribution looks like it's grown very well over the years for sure. And as you said, I assume that there was a shift in the pandemic to the uh, higher level of online sales, I'm guessing. Is that, was that true? Or? Yes, it is true. And I think the, um, obviously, because of COVID, the, um, the growth of e-commerce or online groceries have um, basically have grown double from what I've read. And, um, and I think the forecast is, you know, uh, by 2025, about 20% of groceries will be made up by online versus perhaps 10% from the original forecast. And we're definitely seeing a lot of them uh, happening here. As for our own business, because we compete in relatively a, a niche uh, category as plant-based yogurts, we, we are definitely growing our customer base and, uh, and we're enjoying double-digit growth, but the volume is still you know, a relatively small base. And uh, especially because we're only servicing within uh, a small radius right now. You talked about the fact that I can get it through three different outlets. So if I'm a consumer looking at your product and I'm, I'm somebody who has in the past been eating, I'll call it other forms of yogurt, uh, tell me why I would choose your product. Well, I believe the current major drive right now when choosing or looking up for plant-based alternatives, uh, increasingly uh, from an environmental perspective, um, because obviously, you know, to consume and to make a plant-based yogurt has a very different uh, environment implications versus a dairy yogurt, um, you know, because it's not from a, a dairy farm. And obviously, the, there is uh, a price to be paid when you operate, a, a, you know, a dairy, uh, a dairy farm operation from, you know, from a waste perspective, from an animal welfare perspective. So when it comes to choosing a plant-based yogurt, there, there is definitely, uh, that's all out of that, that worry because it's really about just supporting growing crops and using the crops and you convert it into a yogurt. Um, so I think there is an environmental uh, benefit of choosing a plant-based versus animal um, or dairy yogurt. And, you know, and I think it's also obviously with the aging demographics we have in this part of the world. Um, everyone is really not about eliminating dairy per se, but rather want to incorporate more plant-based products into their diet so that they can still maintain a bit of uh, their indulgences. But, you know, by incorporating the, the plant-based option would, would make their diet, uh, you know, healthier. And um, I, I think, I feel that these are the really real driving forces, you know, especially in the past four or five years, not much the same way like when we first started, it's all about, oh, uh, you have to be a vegan to go with a plant-based yogurt or you have a food allergy, that's why you have to go with a plant-based yogurt. I think 
now the 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 motivation and the reasons of people going for it are, are quite different compared to when we first started the business. Yeah, it does. You're right about the idea that it's, it was either vegan or somebody with an allergy, and clearly plant-based um, foods in general, unless there's something wrong about the way they were prepared, should be easier to consume in some cases than people who have sensitivities to meat, dairy, and all those things, for sure. Um, the other thing, and you hit on it for sustainability, um, in theory, there's a much bigger difference in the what I call the food chain, because you're starting out with plants, and you're taking plants and converting it into yogurt with whatever ingredients you add to that. Whereas uh, a normal process, you're right, I have to have a dairy farm as the starting point. So I'm taking plants, the cows eat the plants, and I've got a much, much more complex food chain, if you will, in that model. And that has a lot to do, um, I'm guessing, with the carbon footprint as well. You know what I mean? So if I have a dairy yes. farm and I'm going through all of that, very different than just raising the crops and moving them into uh, your processing plant, if you will. To go through the cycle with dairy farms and everything else, that's a much larger carbon footprint challenge as well. So there's benefits there. Um, I don't know the nutritional value of your uh, product, but I'm assuming, like other yogurts, it has a, a lot of value. I'll say there's a lot of health benefits to eating regular yogurt, which probably also apply to your product. Is that true? Yes, it is. And um, in all fairness, they, they're... Um, dairy milk has a lot of uh, naturally available nutrients, which uh, plants uh, definitely uh, cannot simulate. But you know, when it comes to digestibility, in terms of uh, protein availability, yeah, it's very comparable. Um, especially, you know, um, we are a big fan of soy, and you know, as a complete uh, protein with all the amino acids and uh, the protein level from you know, soy yogurts are, you know, are quite comparable with um, a dairy yogurt. And um, not to mention, you know, if you think how the evolution works, you know, when it comes to a beverage alternative, um, many plant-based beverages, even, you know, when they first introduced, um, you know, um, provides a lot of protein, um, you know, per serving, um, very comparable to milk. And um, so, you know, the, the whole category has evolved and has come a long way, especially not only from a nutritional perspective, but also from a sensory perspective. And, and, uh, and now eating plant-based are, are very enjoyable and it's not meant to be um, a compromise for something healthy, but, you know, it doesn't taste as good. And that, that was the stigma in the past. Yeah, no, it's great that you, in a sense, made it, uh, I'll call it attractive from a taste perspective. That, that's a big difference to what I call older uh, foods that were more um, vegan-based or plant-based, if you will. Yes, yes. So that's a huge change. And the fact that the protein is different now that you're adding soy protein in there and so on makes it, a, in a sense, like regular yogurt or I'll call it a more complete food that's actually beneficial for your, uh, in a sense, I'll call it your, your, your gut or your microbiome in a sense that people have. So that's a healthy thing as well. So that's a lot yes. of it. Tell me, we talked about the customer side, how I can get the product and all that. Tell me a little bit briefly about the supplier side, maybe what the impact is on the pandemic. Tell me, you know, you're manufacturing this stuff in a plant and you're getting, uh, I'll call it a product or plants and whatever else you need to manufacture from a set of suppliers. So maybe you can give us a little view of how that works and maybe some of the impacts on the pandemic side from that. 
Sure. Um, I I believe most of the challenges we've encountered are uh, more or less similar with um, you know manufacturers you know in in the plant based uh, food category. Um, definitely, from a raw ingredient perspective, um, we encounter um, you know um, extended delays in terms of uh, delivery timeframes. Um, freight costs certainly have uh, significantly increased uh, as a result of COVID um, because, for example, we import uh, coconut ingredients uh, from Asia and then there is a delay, obviously, because of COVID um, and also um, freight uh, implications as well. And same goes with, you know, other ingredients like tree nuts from the States um, and probably um, the big take home point is um, sourcing local ingredients because of COVID uh, particularly provide um, a comparative advantage because at least you know the proximity of uh, getting the ingredients uh, are within your reach versus you know uh, the ingredients that are being far away so at least you're able to get hold of them quicker and you know with with less cost implications um, and also from packaging perspective, again, the same thing, you know, um, delays and uh, bottlenecks production. And it has a huge implications because, you know, at the end of the day as a brand, we want to maintain consistency um, in terms of experience and also in terms of prices as well to our end users. So we have to find efficiencies, in, you know, among ourselves try not to pass on the cost to, you know, our customers and, um, and so forth. And uh, it is, uh, it's a very real challenge for sure. Yeah, actually, I will say that's not a challenge for you. It's a challenge for the entire world. So you're just part of everybody else because yes. every company I talk to, I don't care what your role is, whether you're a manufacturer, retailer, whoever, everybody has been disrupted by the supply chain, point one and point two, as a result of that, um, the lack of predictability that used to be there in lead times on getting goods and supplies or whatever, because that's all changed, everybody has to hold more inventory, spend more money, and prices throughout up all the supply chain go up automatically. So you can see that here in the U.S., uh, the funny part is they keep saying, oh, the good news is um, with inflation, your salary went up. Yeah, but it was 6% this year. But the bad news is the cost of living went up about 12 So Oh, my God. Yeah, there's no net benefit. Um, and the funny part is when you look at, and this is just the US of course, but we have this massive bottleneck, which is the largest, I guess, bottleneck they've ever had in supply chain history on shipping containers coming into the West Coast port of Los Angeles. They say in the history, they never had a hundred container ships waiting to be unloaded. Now they have, I think 180 or something that are sitting out there for the first time in history, just floating in the ocean, waiting to find a place to dock and all of that slows down everything for everybody, you and everybody else. So there's a, a lot of challenges to all these businesses. I don't know what the answers are going to be, but certainly in a sense, sharing and understanding what those problems are, at least is beneficial. So I know from doing these food casts, we've talked to other companies and they're going through that same experience right now. And the hope is that we're going to wind up in a sense, moving to the point that we get more stability in the supply chain, which certainly would then 
lower what I call the cost pressures that everybody faces right now. So once once we get to the point that stuff would flow well, you won't have to pay premiums, you know, uh, to get things unloaded and moved as much as you do now. You you're absolutely right. And for us as entrepreneurs and um, especially um, more of a small to medium sized companies is really to think harder and think outside the box to seize the moment and say, you know, what are the opportunities because of um, what's happening around us? And um, because at the end of the day, it is really about the value proposition as well of what we bring to our supporters and, and, and users of our product. And um, so we, we're really taking a closer look on, you know, Canadian ingredients, alternative packaging, and how we can maintain and, and elevate, you know, and rise rise above from these challenges. And um, yeah, so I, um, yeah, it is a challenging time we live in right now, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and you're right. I think when I've talked to other companies, they're doing the same similar things. And one of the biggest, of course, is trying to rethink how can we locally source stuff? You know, the, the shorter the chain the supply chain is, the better off you are and the less likely you're gonna be impacted by these disruptions. Uh, for sure. Yes. That's a smart move for sure. Uh, and then, as you said, I have talked to other companies as well, and they do try to come up with creative ideas on the packaging side for sure. And then the third thing that I do see in common, you mentioned it, but with the, I'll call it the shutdown of food service during the pandemic, everybody said, hey, we got to do more on the online side. So people did invest more in their online sales, if you will. And that has mm -hmm. sort of paid off as well. And then they did see, just like you have, that the retail side went up because people were now shopping instead of going out to eat. So there was an impact over there as well. Uh, tell me a little bit. Um, it, you're in the food, uh, you're in the food supply chain, and as a result of that, you're subject, as you said earlier, to um, food regulations in Canada. And so, with that, maybe you can tell me a little bit about um, how uh, your company deals with food safety issues. Well, food safety is always a very um, vital part in our, you know, for our brand and in our company as well. And certainly because of COVID, um, you know, we have become more vigilant. And part of it is also the result because we have lost um, staff um, because of COVID uh, with some government um, regulations and benefits offered. Uh, we have encountered definitely by far the biggest uh, staff turnover uh, this year um, and last year as well, you know, you know, 18 or 19 years of business. So that even makes the quality control and food safety part even harder because part of our process are really depending on the manual labor. Um, so that that is part of the challenge and certainly to be more vigilant as well in terms of sanitation practices and our facility. And I'm um, very glad to say like, um, you know, our new plant is uh, HACCP certified and we also just um, received the, uh, the go ahead with the SQF um, level two audit. So this is a good opportunity to really tighten up um, the quality control side, um, you know, as a brand and as a manufacturer. And um, yeah, in food safety, it, it is a very big thing. Um, you know, also not only from a manufacturing side, but also from a promotional side. And right now, because of COVID, we cannot, um, you know, 
feature our products in in-store for in-store demo, for example. Oh, and that has a, that's a huge implication as well, you know, in terms of um, building our brand and growing, you know, um, growing bis new, new businesses because, um, you know, foods are very much like clothes and any other, you know, consumable goods. They, you have to try it um, yeah. before you make that decision. So, yeah, it, it is. Um, food safety is a very big subject. I agree. You're, you're right. It, it does alter the ability of what you can do from a merchandising perspective at the point of sale, because you're right. I'm not going to have somebody standing there saying, here's a little cup, try the sample anymore. That's in most cases, that's going to be very difficult to do. Yes. So that is the challenge. And, and it's, it's a shame for new products because you're right. If it's an established product, you know, whatever it is, a brand of, you know, craft cheese or something like that, people don't say I need to try it to buy it. They just go, it's craft cheese. I'll just buy it. But when it's um, something that's different, it's absolutely based on trying it. And as you said, it's either clothes or food. Everybody wants to try those things on. Uh, Most definitely. Yes. Yeah. That's a challenge. And I, actually, I don't know how Canada's going. I'll say in the U S because we're 50 states and a country, we're totally confused. I know you have a bunch of provinces and a country, and you have the same challenge. But in our case, the states are all going different directions on regulations and stuff. And the federal government is trying to impose some. And a lot of the, in a sense, industries and a lot of the uh, states disagree with what the federal government's trying to do. And it's a shame because technology to sort of manage where we are is, is ahead of where the government in the US is and where the government and the states are for sure. So as an example, one state will say, hey, we're gonna require that food service in, uh, outlets shut down. Another one will say you have to wear masks. Another one will say they're completely open. And so it just depends upon where you are as to what the rules are. The other thing is um, the technology is pretty good. There's something called a good health pass now that allows you to track individually. I can show you on this good health pass on my phone that I've been vaccinated, but I could also show you that I've tested negative for COVID recently. And if I had COVID in the past, I could show that as well, all on that one thing. And yet here in the US, we're actually not using that 99% of the opportunity. It's just not being done. So even though the technology exists as a solution, we're still not using it properly in the US at this point, so. Well, um, <laughs> I would say perhaps Canada have less of a challenge just because the magnitude is not as um you know not as high because we you know we are a smaller country fewer provinces and uh, and smaller population um, but there is definitely discrepancy and 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 different uh and confusion uh definitely is happening and um and i think the big part of it too is also i think because of COVID. Um, it has um, um, it has left an impact on our lives and our well-being, and I and I th and I feel in many ways, you know, perhaps, you know, our governments are are not being able to look after that very well, and now we, you know, uh, we see a lot of uh, increasing number of anger and frustration, you know, all because you know, of COVID and um, yeah, but Canada is probably uh, has its challenges as well, I, I would say. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and so you're right, we're all dealing with that one way or the other, uh, plus the confusion of the rules change over time anyway, as they learn more, which makes sense. 
But then the other thing, tell me, uh, so your company's been around for a while now. And from your point of view, uh, beyond the customers we have, if I look at suppliers you have to work closely with, um, you can tell me a little bit about that. But you also operate in communities. In your case, I think it's uh, Cambridge, Ontario's yes. base. And then you have employees as well. So maybe you can give me a background on sort of how, in a sense, the company views working with those different groups. Well, I, I believe there, in my mind, as a business owner, I, I have a, a more of a comprehensive and uniform view about um, all levels of stakeholders that associate and, and work, with, work with us. It is, the big word is, um, it is, in, is support or being a supporter um, in, in all levels that we work with. And, you know, bring solutions as well. You know, we, we are in Cambridge and all of our staff that work with us, um, 25 of us in the operation here are all from Cambridge. Um, we all support, you know, their, their own communities and micro communities. We go to their hockey games. Um, we support potlucks um, pre-COVID. And, um, you know, on, on a larger scale, you know, we also support, you know, other organizations that we all in the plant food space. You know, I'm in a, um, uh, a forum with other food founders as well. And perhaps that's really the most comforting and reassuring thing that came out from COVID is I feel there is definitely a much stronger sense of uh, interdependence and mutual support among uh, other brands and manufacturers. Um, in Canada, um, that we listen to each other, we're trying to help each other, bounce off ideas, and you know, it's it, it that's been a great experience. Um, but you know, for us, is really support everybody as we can, our staff, you know, our customers, um, and um, and trying to help each other out. It's it's a very uh, old-fashioned way to look at it but it's it's uh it makes sense and um yeah because i i think um if if it's all about just trying to sell more products uh, i i think that's i think that's an outdated uh, um mindset right now you know as a business well and you're right i think that's a great point you make because in the old days uh, i'll say there was a middle ground. Maybe in the very old days, it was different, and people did work cooperatively together. But there was a point, and I'll call it in the business model, I'll say, in the business cycle, where the goal was, hey, build my business as big and as fast as I can without worrying about other things. Just grow my business. That's my only goal. It doesn't matter how I work with anybody else. I just got to grow my goal or grow my business. But what's different now, you're right, and COVID was, uh, I'll call it a, a motivator for that, is when we're all having problems, we're not going to be able, we're better off figuring out together how to solve those problems than trying to attack them independently. So that does lead, and I, when I talk to other companies, I hear the same thing, that now they're listening to their customers, their distributors a little closer on how to change things. They've got to make changes. They're working closer with their suppliers, looking for new suppliers, trying to build stronger relationships. And in a lot of cases, uh, especially in my world, I'll say it on the blockchain side, we look at I'll call it new, new kinds of networks where we say, hey, you know what? 
we're better off if we share information uh, across a group of companies in an industry segment than if we just try to isolate and compete independently. We can get a better view of what's going on. So there's that concept as well. So Most definitely. Yeah, it gives me a great perspective on the, in a sense, your involvement at the community level and, and then how that has grown, I guess, as a result of the uh, problems we've had with the pandemic. So tell me, we've covered a lot of topics. From your point of view, um, so you, you said you moved into a plant. When, when, was you, when did you move into the new plant? Uh, it was uh, October 1st, uh, 2020, a oh, little wow. bit over a year ago. Okay, how big is the plant actually? I'm just curious. Um, it's 24,000 square feet. And, wow. um, and uh, we actually have already planned out an additional um, space or idle space in, in the land that we have invested for further expansion uh, as a second phase. And um, we're very happy about, about you know, the relocation and, um, and very optimistic about, you know, what, it, what we can do, you know, what we're capable of delivering, you know, for years to come. Yeah, and that's great that you have a longer-term view. It's not a short-term view, but a longer-term view of what you're going to be able to deliver to customers and so on. That's great. Um, and then, so you have a new plant. Um, uh, as a result of that, I don't know if the equipment's new or you bought it, moved it in, whatever, but around all of that to operate your business, both on the supplier side and the customer side and internally processing, you must use a lot of different technologies as well. Yes, we do. And uh, obviously, there is a lot to catch up, um, <laughs> at least from my point of view. But, you know, we, we are uh, becoming um, more efficient, you know, especially um, from, a, from a quality control and traceability um, purposes. You know, we have just invested into um, a new platform software that we allowed to eliminate a lot of paperwork in terms of um, our daily operation and quality control checks that would, um, that would help out a lot because um, time is a very, the most precious and uh, important uh, element when it comes to, I guess, basically everything. But, you know, from a quality control point of view, um, we need to know, you know, how, whether we are able to follow all, cross all the T's and dots on a real time basis. And, and uh, in the past, we, we really couldn't. You know, if a person coughs sick, and uh, didn't go through all the documentation the next morning, then, um, then we really uh, have a bit of catch up to do. And now we really need, now we have the ability to achieve these things on a real time basis while being less dependent uh, on, on, on labor. Um, there is definitely an important, a very important part, you know, from, from a human, um, interaction or from a, a contribution point of view. Um, but there definitely there are a lot of things uh, that are being offered right now that we can be more efficient and less prone to error because you know of technology. Um, but one thing that I feel we definitely need more is really on the on data from uh, from uh, from a feedback from a consumer point of view, which is a good thing when you have e-commerce then we really build a relationship with uh, a user and a customer. We can have conversation with him or her and um, understanding their needs. Um, but we still have a long way to go because, you know, 
for businesses that we do with retailers, we still don't have much feedback loop on what what people think of our brand and what what the experience has been. And uh, experience is a very big word for us. And if we don't have any information, knowing what you know how to improve and how to work towards on making something better is is very hard. But uh, we're working on that right now. But we still have a long way to go. Yeah, it's interesting because in other businesses I've worked in before I was in software, I had actually my own manufacturing company and I sold through multiple channels and we actually provided, um, I'll call it ad specialty items. The idea was to get feedback for companies. So we used to do giveaway things like here's a free key tag for your car keys. Here's a coffee mug, whatever it was. When we gave you something, the whole point of it was that there was a way for you to get direct feedback. So I hand you whatever it's a coffee mug or keychain or something, remind us about the brand. But the other side of it is usually on there, we had a way to contact the company directly for customer feedback. And just like they do in supermarkets in the US today, the idea was here on your receipt, when you check out at a supermarket, it says, please fill out this survey and you can get either a chance to win something or you get free points you know, off your purchase next time, those kind of things. You always had to come up with an incentive to get the feedback for sure. But I think there, there are opportunities to do that. And I agree with you through retail, it's not easy. Um, you do have the, I'll say the most common thing I see in retail is what they call the manufacturer's coupons um, that they give out with the idea that you, know, you can register and get something back from that. And that's about it. Yes. Yeah. So the point of it is, it, I agree with you. The challenge is there to get the the feedback from the end consumer through these other channels. Um, but you know, you're right. It does take creativity to figure out what's the right way to do that that'll make it pay off well. Yes, and I think right now, um, definitely uh, data data is is always important. But right now, it is um, really becoming um, even more important as as um, as part of a criteria to make business decisions and um, and whether it's a good thing or bad thing, I, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> but yeah, we, we, we have to keep moving forward. Yeah, that it does help. So with all that said, any specific technologies you see that would be useful in the future that you're maybe not heavily focused on at this point? Um, well, I believe if you know, one of the things you raised a very good point about feedback and, you know, one of the things that we used to do quite frequently is to conduct sensory panels, you know, uh, either in the large scale or even in the focus group to, um, to get feedback from our customers. Um, and, um, and now because of COVID, we really have to put a, a stop on that. And, I do wish if there is a technology that we are able to do to execute that in an efficient way and so that we can, you know, we are able to keep moving um, the objectives and, and getting the feedback we want and, and really trying and learning for us is really like trying learning by trying is a big part of our brand and our company and honestly, that's that's really a lot of times how we um, we achieve success and how we learned and uh, getting the feedback um, in a real time basis uh, right now it, it, yeah in, in many ways it's hard but from a sensory side I, I 
I wonder if there's any technology that, get, that can help us to do that. And uh, Well, actually, your point is well thought through. I think the companies that are doing something today to get that kind of direct input, it's a multi-stage process for them. So what they first have to do is say, how do I contact potential consumers of my product? And you actually brought up the other problem, which is how do I get new people who've never tried my product to even find out about my product? They can see the thing sitting in the retail shelf, but they may not just read the package and say, oh yeah, I'm gonna try it, that's for me. They may wanna actually sample it. So the thought would be that you have this multi-level step. First, you've gotta identify the consumer somehow. Either they're already registered somehow on your website if you allow that, where people can register. But if not, you have to get them uh, to, in a sense, contact you somehow directly or indirectly, so that you have a list of candidates. Having done that, we actually see the same thing in software, that it makes sense to bring in uh, people who you want to use the software, potentially in our case, or in your case, consume the product, to get real feedback. And so it is a multi-level process. First, you've got to identify and contact uh, potential candidates. You then have to come up with what I call a set of potential incentives for them, like I'll give you a free coupon to go to the store, you know, whatever it is, if you had a thousand names, let's say, and you said, okay, I want to do a customer panel to find out how they react to, I'll call it the strawberry version of, you know, my plant-based yogurt. If that's a new product or something, you'd say, okay, let me take a sample set of that and do an email uh, campaign to a hundred of those people and see if I can invite them into a, call it a customer panel. And so it, so you and I, I'm sure we both, we all do a lot of what I call Zoom meetings today, endlessly. And so mm-hmm. it sounds like the only way to do that, um, my wife's company actually did this. They, they a- actually got the employees together and it sounds insane, but they had a, um, a, an employee event over Zoom where, cause they couldn't do it in person. And they, it was like a, a, I'll call it a picnic where everybody had a different lunch thing. In your case, you would actually just say, hey, I'm bringing in a customer panel on Zoom to have you try this yogurt, you know, that I've given you coupons for on this date and time, maybe schedule a couple of different times to make it, mm-hmm. but bring them in and then actually have a real formal thing that says, Hey, if you participate in the panel, I'll give you a $5, you know, coupon against my yogurt, you know, that you can take to the store and, you know, get a discount that way. But then they have incentives to spend the time with you. Mm-hmm. The more important thing is you have structured interaction with them through your offload Zoom meeting where you can say, hey, here's the five questions I need to know from you. And, and the other thing is people like, um, most people, not a, I won't say everybody, but most people usually respond well to being invited. You know, yes. they say, I really wanna know what your opinion is because we wanna shape our product around that. So just the concept you're doing that and you throw incentives at them can help give you that. But I, I would actually try to use Zoom along with the notion of this multi-level process as a way to, in a sense, get that input for what it's worth. That's a great idea, actually. I, I um, obviously, I, I probably, I should reach out to you for more creative ideas. But what I'm just saying, there's plenty of them out there anytime, but I can just bounce. So uh, anyway, we did cover a ton of stuff today. I know, you know, you're short on time, but I do want to thank you, Francis. This has been awesome. I think Yoso is a, a product line and a company is doing great things in Canada. I think you have the opportunity over time, you know, obviously to grow the distribution well. And I think that the there's many advantages to your product line. It's not just a health thing for me, but it does have a big impact on the environment, sustainability and all that. You have a lower carbon footprint. There's a lot of good things uh, that can come out of, in a sense, what your company is delivering, you know, for all of the stakeholders, which is great. 
Thank you so much, uh, Jim, and、uh, it's been a pleasure. Great. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the time you spent with us today. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 